Welcome to Pints with Jack. We're doing a half pints interview today with Sophia Holcomb. So welcome, Sophia, to the show. Thank you. This is this is kind of crazy because I've been listening to this podcast for three months now, and to finally be on it, this is this is insane. I'm so happy <laughs> to be here. Thank you. Well, uh, listeners, Sophia's father was recently consecrated as the uh, fifth bishop of the Diocese of Central Florida, so he's my boss. And um, he shared with me, the first text he sent me was a picture of Sophia uh, with a set of the chronicles from that she had found at Costco and told me that at the, she's uh, taking a class. And so um, I guess, now tell me the story. Your dad said like you came in and you were mentioning something about the podcast and how did, how did that connection happen? Yeah, so I was, we were talking about my class at school and he said, mm-hmm. oh, I, I know this guy who's a priest in the diocese, and he's also a C.S. Lewis scholar. So I, I thought that, I was like, okay, maybe he could come in to the class sometime. So that'd be a good opportunity. And then yeah. I one day needed help trying to understand the great divorce. And mm-hmm. so I searched up a podcast trying to find anything, and that was the first thing that came up. And so I started listening to it with the great divorce. And then I saw this name, your name. Andrew Lazo. Mm-hmm. And that kind of rang a bell because I feel like my dad had told me your name. <laughs> and so I was like, hey, is do you know this guy? Does he have something to do with the Diocese of Central Florida? And he was like, yeah, that's the, it's the guy I was telling you about. So <laughs> it kind of just happened by chance and me just searching it up one day. So it was kind of uneventful, but kind of funny. That's so. great. Well, so it sounds like the Lord's doing some stuff. Mm-hmm. So we sent you some pints with Jack swag, and we even sent yes. you one of my little rocks from Addison's Walk. Yes, thank you for um, that. Oh my goodness. Uh, I carry one with me every day just as a reminder of what two or three friends talking about the things they love can do to change the world. And um, it feels kind of stupid when I'm there in Oxford and I have a, have a baggie and I'm throwing rocks into my bag to carry back across the ocean. But once in a while I meet people like us and uh, and they really get it. So... So, well, we're grateful that you um, have come on the, the show. Um, uh, so I just want to jump right in. So tell me how you started getting into C.S. Lewis and tell me about his impact uh, in your life. So growing up in a Christian home and going to a Christian school, I was pretty much surrounded with Chronicles of Narnia from a very early age. And I visited Oxford when I was six. Ooh. So I don't think I understood any of the gravity of what any of that meant at the age of six. <laughs> but I do remember going into Eagle and Child and on the wall seeing um, this picture of, of this guy. And my dad told mm-hmm. me, oh, that's that's the guy who wrote those books that you've been, that we bought for you, Chronicles of Narnia. <laughs> and I thought, I was like, okay, that's cool. Um, and so a few years go by, we're reading it in school, we're reading the Chronicles of Narnia. And, oh, is that that's eagle and child? That's eagle the eagle child. and child. Yep. Yep. Right mm-hmm. there in the rabbit room. Yep. So yeah, a few years later in school. Yeah. So a few years later in school, I was reading *The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe*, mm-hmm. and I remember distinctly the day I was reading that. I read it in like a day. I went ahead of the class because I couldn't help but realize these profound truths that this author was able to work into a story, and that was probably mm-hmm. the first experience I had with a story like that. Hmm. And I distinctly remember just learning about Aslan and who he represented in this imaginative mm-hmm. supposal. And I was I was blown away by that. 
And then I kept reading it, The Chronicles of Narnia, and I started forcing myself to read it because I felt that I should enjoy it Mm. and that I should read it to be a good reader and probably a good Christian part of that. Mm -hmm. And so I, then that leads me to the summer when I'm signing up for classes, I decided to sign up for the life and works of C.S. Lewis because I should, since I'm at a classical Christian school. (laughs) (laughs) So it was me coming to love C.S. Lewis is out of what it felt like an obligation to do. Hmm. And so hmm. I signed up for this class and yeah. then I was in Costco one day, like this summer, and <laughs> I happened to come across a box set of C.S. Lewis books for $20. So I yep. I bought it because I thought I should, pro- I should be doing some <laughs> summer reading to get prepared for this class that I should be taking. And mm-hmm. so I read Screwtape Letters first because that's okay. the only one I really knew. Yeah. Which was, it's a very interesting introduction to Lewis because yeah. you you just can find, I found so much truth in that, that from a yeah. devil is just, it's really striking. And so mm-hmm. I read that and I kind of understood why people loved this guy, C.S. Lewis. Yeah. Understood why people respected him after reading that. Uh-huh. And so then I moved on to, I read Mere Christianity and A Grief Observed at the same time. Wow. Which was fascinating because uh-huh. you really get to see how doubt is not the difference from faith mm-hmm. and how it's not the opposite of faith. It's mm. questioning, like rightly questioning those things. So yeah. in Mere Christianity, also reading Mere Christianity, I realized that he was putting into words some of the questions I had been asking myself. Mm-hmm. How could Christianity mm-hmm. be the one true religion yeah. out of all of the religions? And I think Lewis puts that so beautifully in Mere Christianity yeah. with his liar, lunatic, and Lord argument. Yeah. And so... I was even more convinced when I found out he was an atheist, because mm-hmm. if an atheist, if a former atheist could be so convinced of the absolute truth of Christianity, I should stop making it an obligation to read him and start yeah. making it, start paying attention pretty much. Mm. So mm. then after reading those books, I kind of just, I took off. So it was mainly me trying to be a good reader and doing yeah. things I should. But then it came to this, which I'm really happy about. So. <laughs> That's good. You know, Jack says um, that he'd never read more than a page and a half of a book he didn't enjoy. Mm. And, you know, he read almost everything. Um, so I think the kind of difference comes where he kind of taught himself how to enjoy. And so, yeah, when I start looking at the stacks of books that I should read, boy, my eyes start to glaze over. And so I'm glad that it, it turned into something that, uh, that, that you liked and owned for yourself. How was your first experience reading Mere Christianity? I found that I had to, uh, well, listeners know, I, that book is the one that taught me how to read. Because, you know, you read along in the chapter, and all of a sudden he says, and fourthly, I'm like, fourthly, where were one and two and three? And, of course, if you go back, they're exactly right where they need to be to develop the point. But I have to admit that when I was twice your age, I was just not as good a reader as I needed to be. And trying to figure out what the heck Lewis was saying in mere Christianity was part of what made the difference for me. Did you find it? Was that a similar situation for you? 
Yeah, so I remember starting to read it. And actually, I was talking to my teacher about this the other day because we're mm -hmm. reading Mere Christianity in class. Okay. And he said a lot of people, one of the reasons they don't like Lewis is because if you follow his line of logic or his reasoning, yep. you have to end up at the conclusion that Jesus is Lord and God. And mm -hmm. a lot of people feel cornered by that. So I appreciated it my first read through because it felt like Lewis was taking me on this journey of mm -hmm. understanding his points because he's very clear. He starts off with moral law and that's also a question everyone asks. So I think sure. it's, it's, it's interesting because he doesn't even start off with talking about Christianity. He just starts off with something everyone has in common. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a very linear model of thinking, which yeah, I appreciate. Yeah. I really appreciate You can tell that, that he got so. a first class degree in philosophy, mm -hmm. you know, at Oxford. You can see that, that development of thinking. One of the things that distinguishes, I think, Lewis from Tolkien is Tolkien says that um, unconsciously in its writing and consciously in its re revision, The Lord of the Rings is a fundamentally religious and even Catholic work. But because Tolkien's Catholic for most of his life, he kind of wakes up, and we as readers of The Lord of the Rings kind of wake up into a world that is governed by a moral god, Iluvatar, Eru, the One. Um, and, but with Lewis, religion comes crashing in like, like Aslan crashing into the White Witch. And so, and that's partly because what you find in mere Christianity is Lewis's own experience as an atheist. He starts out assuming that it's not true and then tries to account for what's inside of him. And, you know, it's the, um, uh, it's the, uh, the, uh, the invasion, right? The, um, um, that, that he talks about, there's a, uh, you know, somebody's landing on enemy occupied territory. And so you can kind of see the difference in their worldviews just by the way that they, uh, by the way that they write. So grief observed, what did you make of grief observed at 14 years old? <laughs> so that again, reading that was because my dad mentioned it because we were talking about severe mercy and how mm -hmm. I didn't, I hadn't read it at that point, but he was telling okay. me about um, how Lewis wrote letters to people and mm -hmm. how he helped um, Sheldon Van Auken through his yeah. grief of Davy. And uh -huh. he said, oh, um, there's also this book called Grief Observed about Lewis, Lewis's wife dying. Mm -hmm. So I decided it was really short and I should, I should probably read it. <laughs> and so I picked it up. I read it in a day because oh, wow. it was unlike, of course, it's unlike anything else he wrote because mm -hmm. it's him. I don't think he ever lost his faith. I think he was questioning a good God. Mm -hmm. And... I yeah, didn't there's know that this, passage yeah. where that passage where he says either God's impotent or um, or he just doesn't care, but either way we're for it. And I'm I'm mm -hmm. paraphrasing it badly, but yeah, he 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 settles on this faith, you know, mm -hmm. and maybe understands that you know what's going on with him uh, was was you know influencing some of what he what he thought. So was that was that your first introduction to Joy Davidman? Yes. So I read it not knowing anything about Joy Davidman, not knowing their story of how they okay. met or their relationships. Uh -huh. So when I was reading it, I didn't even really know her name. Okay. And I just knew that this was about his wife and that was all I knew. Right. So it was 
it was an interesting, unorthodox second book to choose, I think. <laughs> yes, it so. was. Yeah, I did a book called Mere Christians, and I'll give your dad a copy mm-hmm. for you if you're... Do you ha- have you read it? Have you, I have do, I've you read it, yeah. This? I have read okay. it. Oh, I'm so, yeah, okay. Okay, so yeah, people you, kind of came into... Yeah. Um, the people kind of come into Lewis in a lot of different ways. And I don't mm-hmm. think Grief Observed is one of the main on-ramps, but they get there. And of course, you know that H stands for Helen, mm-hmm. which was her given name. And then when did you read Becoming Mrs. Lewis? I I listened to an interview with Miss um, Callahan uh-huh. on Pints with Jack. Okay. And I decided I should learn... I, I wanted to learn more. This was a this was a desire now to learn more, not an obligation. Oh, so good. I really wanted to learn more about Joy Davidman because I was like, okay, she has to be pretty impressive mm-hmm. if she could stay on the same level as Lewis. Yeah. And so I started reading that, and it was a really good introduction and examination of her because it's not a biography. Mm-hmm. So it's. It's nice because I got a picture of her early life, her life with um, Bill and her children. Uh And it's fascinating because she lived such a short life, but there was so much that happened. Yeah. And then, yeah. So that was my first real introduction to Did you read the hardback or the paperback? I read it um, on eBooks on my phone. So, but I had, there was, there was extra stuff in there. So I read all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, So that was the expanded second edition. So Mm -hmm. I came to that book. I was doing some research at the Wade Center at Wheaton College. And I I know that you've been in touch with Amy Peeler and, and, Mm -hmm. uh, and I'll beat the drums for Wheaton College too. But, um, so I had done some research at the Wade and they told me about this person who was writing this book about Joy Davidman. And with my work on Till We Have Faces, of which Joy was, um, according to some of Lewis's friends, the co-author. Um, so Patty got a hold of me, and um, I read the book, and uh, I read the hardback, and there were some there were some issues that I had with some of the factual things and whatever. But she's, as you said, she's writing her own supposal of what Joy Davidman was like. She's writing a novel, but I made lists of all of the the corrections that I would have made, and Patty and I got in touch, and we became friends. And after a while, I became bold enough to say, hey, I've got this list, this three pages of mistakes, that I think, or adjustments that I'd suggest. And she's like, oh, my gosh, when can we talk? And so we spent hours on the phone, and she had this incredible humility as an author. And she listened to every single suggestion and took a bunch of them and or, and some of the other ones. She's like, yeah, I don't care about that. But um, she was great. And... I said that I may have a surprise for you. I kind of don't, but I, so I'm sorry. Um, Patty's in Hawaii with her family, um, but had she been in the states, uh, in the in the in the mainland, um, she was going to come on and say hello uh, to you. And so she sends her regrets. She's with her grandbabies, and um, and she really tried to make it happen, but she wasn't able to. Um, but she, I told her about you and about some of what you said. And so she's thrilled and she's looking forward to maybe doing something with you or with your class or something in the future. So yeah, I appreciate uh, that. So she's sending, she's sending hi to both of us and to our listeners as well. So, and then you read, when did you read the four loves? That was pretty recent actually. So I think I started, I probably read becoming Mrs. Lewis and heard about okay. the four loves from that and realized it was in my box set box set and mm-hmm. so i started reading that and then i recently 
I don't I didn't put this on the list because I made the list before I started it, but I was reading The Four Loves and then I started reading Till We Have Faces. Uh oh. And I kind of that's that's been my main project for the past few days. But okay. anyway, so I read The Four Loves and that's when I saw the interconnections between Lewis's work and Joy Davidman. Yep. Because he couldn't have written The Four Loves, I think, without experiencing all of them. He experienced all of them in Joy Davidman, I think, because mm-hmm. it started as an affection with a friendship. Yeah. It was more of just an affection of acquaintances. Yeah. And then it became uh, friendship, philia, mm-hmm. which at that point, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems that Lewis's only really close friendships were probably with the Inklings and Warney. At that point, he might have had yeah. more, but... So, you know, there's... Um, you can name, like, six different people that could be in the running for Lewis's best friend. He did have friendships with women. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of correspondence. Um, Vera Gebert was a friend. Dorothy Sayers was a friend. Um, and some of it was the disparity in education between men and women was a lot more pronounced back then. Um, and... Uh, my wife and I actually met because we both contributed a chapter to a book called uh, Women in C.S. Lewis. It was just examining whether or not he was sexist. And the kind of, the conclusion that we kind of come to is when he's deliberately dealing with women, he's not. And so, um, but yeah, you're really right that she bowled him over. And I think that friendship, that philia starts really quickly. And they're on a first name basis. She's writing to him as Jack. Um, really quickly. Some other women friends took him a decade before they were on a first name basis like that. And so, um, and the Inklings kind of end around 1949 and Joy Davidman starts writing him the same year and in 52 comes over to Oxford and meets him. So the Inklings have been, have stopped for a couple of years um, by then. Um, they're still friends and they still meet from time to time, but not officially as the Inklings. And then the woman that Lewis called his mother, Mrs. Moore, had uh, gone into a nursing home in 1950 and died in 51. So, and unfortunately, Warney struggled with some alcoholism, so he wasn't always as present for Jack um, as perhaps he would have liked. And so, in some ways, I think Joy Davidman becomes kind of the Inklings. Uh, in in some ways uh, to Lewis and kind of meets him at a at a at a really uh, key time in his life. Um, now you said you started reading Till We Have Faces. Have you listened to any of the episodes or anything about that? I have. I okay. I'm more than halfway through right now. So okay. I was planning to read it chapter by chapter along with the podcast, uh-huh. and then I just I just I kept going. It's fascinating. Um, uh-huh. But I listened to a little bit, the, mainly the introduction, because I was trying to understand how to read this thing, because I mm-hmm. hear it's it's famously twisty, you know, yeah. have some different things it going is. on. And so I've been reading that, and there's some parts that I think it's very probable to think that Joy was a co-author in some regard. Because there are parts that I think only a poet like herself could have Mm -hmm. contributed, especially Mm -hmm. some of the things um, Psyche says about longing and whatnot. So, okay, yeah, it's it's been fascinating to see. It's just fascinating to see how history and literature interconnect Mm -hmm. in that way. 
and especially yeah, absolutely joy as a person yeah so yeah no without mm. question um one of the things he was really concerned with when it came to till we have faces and listeners i promise not to turn this into another till we have faces episode mm-hmm. but um as you probably picked up that's my you know that's been my work for the last almost uh, two decades um he was very interested in making sure that no masculine note kind of um, seeped into the book. He wanted it to sound like a woman. Um, and what? How do you think his success was so far? So far, uh-huh. it's it's pretty impressive because there's some parts. I noticed one part um, where it says something. I'm going to paraphrase it badly. Sure. But I think Orwell. Um, Yep. Am I saying it right? Orwell? Orwell. That's Orwell? how I pronounce okay. it. Yep. She says something about when she's learning how to fight, and I'm going to paraphrase it, but how if she would have been a man, she should have been created as a man and her mm-hmm. manly virtues. Mm-hmm. And that rang the bell of when Lewis said to Joy about his how she yes. has the virtues of a man. Yes. And, she pray yeah. I once praised her for mm-hmm. her masculine virtues yes. and she asked me how I would like to have been praised for my feminine ones. A good repost, my dear. And of course that's a sword fighting term, right? Mhm. So yeah. nice pickup, very nice pickup. Yeah. Um he also describes her in a grief observed in a lot of male terms. She was my mm-hmm. trusty comrade, my shipmate, my fellow soldier, right? These kind of yeah. traditionally male um uh, roles. And he says, all that my men friends have been to me, and I have has had good ones, perhaps more, right? And so they're not quite sure what to make of her. And, you know, frankly, the rest of the world isn't quite sure what to make of her. So there'll be a chapter or two in my book kind of correcting, I think, uh, some of the, 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 the mistaken notions about her. But she would, um, I spoke with Douglas Gresham with her son. And we were in the kilns in Lewis's home. And he said there was a double author to that book. And mother, he said, Jack would write a chapter and come down and mother would read, he would read it to mother and she would make corrections and help him write more like himself. So she kind of served as an editor, but there are a couple of moments where you clearly see just a female's voice um, coming through. So, well, I'm excited to, uh, to, to hear about your, your reading of that. And if I can be a resource for that, of course, um, I'm, I'm happy to, um, what kinds of stuff are you reading in your class? What, what's the syllabus look like? So we just finished surprised by joy, uh-huh. which that, that was, I've heard from a lot of people that it was a lot of reviews say that it's slow and it doesn't, it's not that interesting, but when I read it, I was fascinated by it because, mm-hmm. like I said, one of the things that inter- interested me about Lewis so much was his past as an atheist, and you uh-huh. just get a lot of that in Surprised yep. by Joy. And so, um, by the way, finished, if yeah. if you're interested in that, what I'll do is email to you. Um, I discovered Lewis's first spiritual autobiography, and he wrote it right after his conversion to theism, but before his conversion to Christianity. And it's a lot less story and a lot less kind of deliberately prosy, and it's much more straightforward. Um, and uh, and actually, in transcribing and publishing that, I discovered that Lewis made a mistake in Surprise by Joy, and he didn't convert in Trinity Term of 1929. It was 1930, and so I've had some conversations with Alistair McGrath about that. And so, so if you're interested, I'll send you those articles. I certainly wonderful. don't need a book report um, for mm-hmm. that. 
but that'll kind of fill in some of the picture for you. Yeah, that'd be wonderful. Yeah. Thank and you. you know who typed up Surprised by Joy? Joy herself. Joy Dave, that's right. Yeah. Though, so yeah, my wife time, agrees with you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For the longest time, I thought it was, because I hadn't read it yet, so Surprised by Joy made me think, oh, Surprised by, I thought it was about the person, but right. it wasn't, which is kind of providential if you think about it. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's and that was a big joke going around Oxford. Have you heard about C.S. Lewis? He's been surprised by joy. Um, <laughs> so uh, the poem by Wordsworth is um, is really worth looking into. It's just a sonnet. And he's writing about his dead daughter. Um, and he's grieving his daughter. Um, and he finds even in the middle of his grief that he was surprised by joy, impatient as the wind. I turned to share the transport, but with whom? Right, and there's this longing and the lack of this person that he wants to to share this joy with. Um, it's similar to the poem to Charles Williams um, that you'll find in poems. Um, he said, "With what friend is it worth exchanging thoughts about your death, ex- unless it were oh, unless it were you?" So he really wants to talk to Charles Williams about Charles Williams' death, and Tolkien isn't enough and Williams or and and Barfield none of these he wants to talk to Williams about that so you may hear some echoes and you're doing a really nice job connecting um and one of the theses that I have is that all of Lewis's other writings are in until we have faces so I I'll I'll be interested in hearing what you think about that when you when you finish so I can see that so far just all of his work coming into that one so uh, we, we mentioned that um, uh, uh, there's that question about the four loves and um, Doug Gresham shot me down when I suggested this, uh, but the copyright holder for the four loves is Helen Joy Lewis. And I think that one can make at least a, you know, a, a theoretical case that she authored or sponsored some of the, all four of the loves um, for him. What do you think? What do you make of that? If it's, even if it's not a deliberate, if it is just for, the royalties for mm-hmm. her. I still think, like I said, was surprised by Joy. It's almost providential in a way yeah. that it was it was her of all people that was um, that got the copyright. And I really do think the relationship moved. I agree that it moved through all the four loves because mm-hmm. affection, then friendship, then um, romance, eros, and I think they also had a a charity love between Mm -hmm. them especially from what i learned from lewis to joy with the way Mm -hmm. he helped um just helped her because she was a divorced woman living in england sure so yeah you'll come across too in the biographies um this ideal idea from charles williams about substitution Mm -hmm. and williams believed that when jesus said we should carry one another's burdens he really meant it and so lewis prayed to take on joy's pain when she had cancer riddling her leg. And miraculously, she started to gain calcium in her leg and Lewis started to lose calcium in his leg. And so there's that, you know, kind of sense of exchange that's, that's going on with them too. So yeah, that's, uh, I think that's all there. Um, so here's a, 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 you've read more widely in Lewis than I had when I was twice your age. Um, how do you how do you handle kind of the different genres and and kind of adjusting to the different kinds of so like a lot of people will uh, will find that hideous strength 
difficult because it's a different kind of novel than the first two in the um, in the science fiction books. So, I mean, how do you how do you move through you know the different kinds of writing that he's done? I think because, like you said, all of his work comes together until mm-hmm. we have faces. But I can see leading up to that, his prose is poetic. His mm-hmm. poetry has hints of ideas he writes about in his prose. So, for example, um, The Four Loves being like the didactic version of mm-hmm. Till We Have Faces, is he he reiterates ideas yeah. throughout his different books. So it's, yeah. I appreciate that because I'll be reading The Chronicles of Narnia and I'll come across a line mm-hmm. that seems like something he said in The Four Loves or his poetry, things like that. And... That I appreciate that because when I read it, I see the same ideas come up, and they're it's just it's nice mm-hmm. to see those ideas. And He's a remarkably it. coherent author, mm-hmm. isn't he? Yeah. You know, and and one of the joys of reading an author as widely as you're doing is to kind of get a flavor of what's his better writing and what's not maybe mm-hmm. not as not as good or not as eloquent, and to get a sense of the shape of his mind. And he really is. Um, quite coherent um, in all of that. Uh, his letters are just a delight, and you'll see that same thing. An essay that you may be interested in, it may help you in your English class uh, when you read Shakespeare. He wrote a shortish es- essay called Variation in Shakespeare and Others, and this was for the Royal Academy. Um, I think you can find it in selected literary essays, or if you have any trouble tracking it down, just shoot me a note and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll find it for you, or David will probably put it in the show notes. Um, but he looks at how Shakespeare will describe something and then use a different metaphor and then come at it from a different angle. And he'll be describing the same thing in a number of different ways. And so Lewis labels that variation. And he, Lewis notices that about Shakespeare, but I think he's also doing the same thing as you pointed out. Um, so good for you to be able to kind of start to triangulate that stuff. Have you read many of his letters? I haven't read any except from what I've read in Severe Mercy uh-huh. and yeah so I haven't read any I'm really excited about that because he was such a prolific letter writer yeah he wrote back to everybody and that's that's also just a testament to his character mm-hmm. um and I don't remember who said it but somebody one of his friends who was like the most thoroughly converted person yeah who said that, that was Walter Hooper but um, Walter Hooper yep yep from North Carolina. He actually went to the same seminary I went to. He oh. studied to be an Anglican and Episcopal clergyman for a couple of years and then yeah. moved on. Um, but yeah, and that conversion is a process that kind of starts and continues for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. Um, so have, has anything in particular um, struck and helped your own spiritual life, the advice that you give to your friends or, you know, in terms of some of the the handholds or the helps that Lewis offers, um, have any of those things really helped you? Yeah, I think most, this is probably an answer for quite a lot of people, but his argument of liar, lunatic, and Lord, mm-hmm. because this is also, I saw it again when I was watching The Most Reluctant Convert, mm-hmm. because that is, that's probably one of the most convincing arguments. It's not a teleological, ontological argument he's giving. It's yeah. just this simple he can't be a great moral teacher if he made these claims. Mm-hmm. So that's what convinced me, honestly, most of the absolute truth of Christianity. Okay. And so I think that was a pretty formative thing that I read. 
And then, oh, in The Four Loves, in Charity, he says, I'll paraphrase it, but God loves into creation these beings Mm -hmm. that he foresees them committing cosmic treason, foresees the cross, foresees all Mm -hmm. of that, and herein is love, loves Mm -hmm. them anyway. And that, that's just, I mean, that's a beautiful way to put it. Mm. And so I'd say those were the two main things that I remember from his works that really is formative. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, Well, and I find that the more I read Lewis, the more those things kind of come along and and help. By the way, if you want to learn a little bit more about about that kind of charity, your dad's sermon to the priests the other day was really good. And, uh, and right on point. So um, it, it may earn you some dad points if you, if you <laughs> ask to see that. Um, I will. So Lewis famously says, and there were lots of, there's a great letter in Tolkien's letters about coming to the, or Tolkien writes to Lewis about coming to the bird and babe and hearing the roar and knowing that one can dive right in. Um, and Lewis says, when one has read a book, I find there's nothing so nice as discussing it with someone else who's read it, even though it tends to produce rather fierce arguments. And I say, because it does, because it tends to produce good arguments. What do you make of that? What do you think of that? And how do you see that in your own life? Well, I'm lucky because I go to a classical Christian school where a majority of the kids there have read if not the, all the Chronicles of Narnia, most of them and screw tape letters. Mm-hmm. And so I have quite a few friends who, they, they all have different views on the order that Chronicles should be read in. And there's only one view. Yes, they're the <laughs> correct one. Yep. Um, and so I think There's a lot of truth in that because reading mm-hmm. a book, especially like one of Lewis's books with a friend, is they might have different views of predestination or mm-hmm. how he resolves the problem with pain. But we always agree on the main truths. So I mm-hmm. love talking about how he like how he shows Aslan. That's a really great conversation starter with mm-hmm. anybody. But yeah, I've seen that in my own life, especially with teachers, friends. Sure. Mainly, yeah, yeah. Well, and in a classical school, I imagine there's a fair bit of dialectic. There's a fair bit of mm-hmm. arguing and can you prove your point? And mm-hmm. that was Lewis's own education when he was about your age. He went to a private tutor mm-hmm. um, and learned how to hold his ground with an argument. Lewis said, in such matters, to find an enemy is almost to find a friend. So yeah, um, I think yeah, that's definitely yeah. true, especially with teachers, because I have some teachers who because Lewis, he his views of predestination and mm-hmm. God's elect is not a, not everyone agrees with that, but mm-hmm. I love talking to, especially my teachers about it because they have, I mean, they're my teachers, so they have great arguments for it, sure. but we'll talk about that and we disagree on it, but we agree on the fundamentals. So I think, yeah, I definitely agree with him on that. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I want you to tell, uh, I want to shift gears and uh, we may chop this up and put it at a different point in the interview. I'm not sure, but um, I'd love to hear, you first kind of came on my radar and I felt free to ask you uh, when your dad posted about um, about your own podcast that you guessed on. So would you tell us a little bit about that and where we can find it? 
yeah, so the, pa- the podcast is called Kids Talk Church History, and it's me and my co-host interviewing an expert on some event in church history. Mm-hmm. We've been going through the Reformation right now, mm-hmm. and we talk about one of our main focuses is how Jesus has preserved, faithfully preserved his church through all wars and shifting of rulers. Mm-hmm. And so it's been fun because I've gotten to learn a lot about church history when that wasn't really my thing. Mm-hmm. And so we have been going through the Reformation and it can be found anywhere you listen to podcasts. Okay. And we're in partnership with the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. So okay. all of the hosts are Christians. So it's really nice because uh-huh. we get to blend theology and church history into one, which... I love the interconnections that we find. Absolutely. Yeah. No, that's great fun. fun. And that's part of why uh, your dad's consecration was the first one I'd been to. And part of the reason that um, having been raised in no tradition and having come through a number of evangelical traditions, part of the reason that I'm a liturgical Christian and part of the Anglican communion is I love that connection from your dad all the way back to the apostles, you know, and and the, the bishops that started the Anglican communion and, you know, the, the, the Church of England. And that stuff, I think, is meaningful. And uh, so I'm grateful that you guys are dabbling around and not dabbling, but, but digging around and, and exploring some of that. So listeners, uh, kids talk about church history, and, and uh, I think that you'll be pleasantly surprised. Um, so I do want to have an argument with you. Um, you like you said something about enjoying what uh, Lewis said in in that Sheldon Van Aken records. Christians never say goodbye, so uh, I think that that's wrong. Um, but I want to hear what uh, why you agree with that. Well, I'll start off with saying I think Christians should say goodbye. God be okay. with ye. So okay, I, <laughs> I, uh, listeners, she just yeah. took the teeth out of my argument. Um, uh, <laughs> so yeah, keep going. So. I think in the sense Lewis means it is about life eternal together and the the long view that Christians have of mm-hmm. new heavens, new earth. So I liked that line because knowing what was going to happen in Van Auken's mm-hmm. life and yeah. what was going to happen in Lewis's own life with yeah. his with joy, his health problems later on in life. Yeah. And so I think the principle of it is what, I found so striking about it, yeah. but I do agree. We should say goodbye because <laughs> it, it's God, God be with you is a good thing yeah. to say. So, so there's two ways, but good, good for you. Well, that is, that was exactly the teeth of my argument. Part of that though comes from, and it's very formative for me, not only as a person, but then as a high school teacher. And I drilled this into mm-hmm. my students when I would teach them Lewis, um, in the four loves, he says that people are far more likely to praise or dispraise than to define and describe. And I think that a lot of the heat of an argument go out as soon as we define exactly what we mean by the term, right? I think that we've seen the word phobia take a real beating in our contemporary culture. Everybody's this phobic or that phobic. And um, I don't think that that word means what they think that it means, to quote the guy in, um, uh, in, in Princess Bride. And so I think that, and to move from praising or dispraising that binary, one of the great things that Lewis tells us, to, uh, suggests that we do is go, not say good or bad, but good, better, best, or 
bad, worse, worst, and put those more uh, on a spectrum. And even in, even that is just one of the ways that he taught me how to think. So, well, and what about you? What's the, what's the big takeaway? If somebody out there is saying, why should I read Lewis? You know, what do you think, um, if you could sum that up? And I didn't, I'm springing this on you. This wasn't in the notes. Oh, that's all right. Um, I would say it's, Lewis is good for anyone to read. I think mm-hmm. everyone should read at least something by him, preferably mere mm-hmm. Christianity. But mm-hmm. um, especially for people who are either atheists or kind of agnostic, mm-hmm. would probably be that learning about Lewis's life and his work mm-hmm. convinces you of the, the beauty not only just the truth, but the beauty of it and the long mm-hmm. view that Christians have of eternal life and mm-hmm. new heavens, new earth is when reading Lewis, you become more convinced of those realities, mm-hmm. which are easy mm-hmm. to forget in our culture. So yeah. I think it's kind of going back to the basics of the Christian faith is probably my biggest takeaway from reading anything by Lewis yeah. is that it's like it's coming back to what it all means and why it's important yeah. and why it why it's of infinite importance. That's fantastic. You know, I love what you just said. And we were just talking at clergy conference earlier this week about the good and the beautiful or the the true and um, the beautiful, but also the good. And one Mm -hmm. of the things that strikes me about Lewis is that he put into practice what he believed. And that was a, if he thought, if he believed something, he immediately started doing something about it, right? If he thought, oh, I shouldn't be giving, I shouldn't keep all of this money I made from screw tape. Let me give it to the poor. You know, it, there's an immediate action that follows the line of thinking. And so we were talking, like I said, in clergy conference, and I've been mulling on that. We're going to have, by the way, a C.S. Lewis conference in Orlando at the Church of the Messiah um, in Winter Garden um, on April 26th and 27th. And I'm still kind of thinking through um, what to what to call that, but we'll probably touch on the good and the true and the beautiful. And so, love to have you participate in some way if you wanted to. And uh, and and then and as I mentioned to you before, if there's anything I can do to serve you or your class, um, I'm I'm delighted. I'd be delighted to do that. So, well, I forgot to ask at the top of the show: Are you drinking anything? Yeah. Well, I'm kind of boring today. I just have water. Okay, because water's good. No, cheers. Florida, you need um, hydration. Yep, I am drinking hot cinnamon spice tea from my Oxford Starbucks mug. Ooh, that's, so, that's nice. Yeah, well, uh, uh, so uh, as we wrap up, I just wanted to thank you, Sophia Holcomb. Uh, look for her podcast, Kids Talk Church. Is that right? Kids Talk Church History? Yes, that's correct. Okay. Anywhere podcasts, uh, anywhere you can find your podcasts. And uh, we're just grateful that you came in and look forward to hearing from you perhaps again. Um, and grateful that you've started that journey so much earlier and so much more wisely and intelligently and thoughtfully than so many of us, mm-hmm. uh, certainly myself. I think you've outread Matt at this point in the show. Huh. <laughs> so, uh, and I, I could just hear him chuckle and say, yep, she probably has. So. Uh-huh. Great. Right. Well, thank well, you thank so much you. for coming on, Sophia. Thank you. This has been amazing. I've looked, I've looked forward to this, um, and I never expected this to happen when I started listening to Pints with Jack. So <laughs> I appreciate this so much. So thank you. You bet. It's a joy, and we can always work a half pint in.
So tune in next time when we'll be going further up. And further in. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> oh, that was a bad cheers. Here, let's get the proper ring. Cheers. Cheers.